just give them a hand for leading us in worship today? When my wife and I, Hannah, were dating, we attended Houghton College, and we used to have this spot in the Allegheny River, which is right outside the campus where we like to go swimming on hot summer days. And I can remember there was a spot in the river where the river took a, a really sharp bend and there was a straightaway leading up to it where the water got a little bit deeper, not deep enough that you couldn't stand, but deep enough where you could swim against the current. And my wife is and or was and is a great swimmer, and I wasn't so much at the time. And so that's kind of where she taught me how to swim better and swim more efficiently. And I can remember, we went down one autumn day, and it had rained all week. And so the water was higher, it was faster, it was stronger, and we decided it was a good day to go swimming. Now, at that time, my mom had just bought me this incredible pair of Crocs, and um, I know some of you are looking at these and you think they're super ugly, but to me, they're like an ugly puppy. They're so ugly, they're cute. And I will wear them anywhere, anytime. I rock Crocs and socks all day with no shame. And um, I was going to wear them today, but I was like, I don't want to set the standard so high for someone who's new here to be like, this is the only guy that wears good shoes and all the other preachers have to live. I'm just kidding. Um, I, I had just gotten those pair of shoes from my mom, and so they're all terrain. I love them. I'm like, I'm going to wear those into the river. They'll be perfect. So I start swimming out into the river with the current stronger than before, and the way my wife and I had always done it is we'd swim like diagonal, kind of against the current, but enough that, you know, as you make progress, you eventually end up at shore. That was her way of teaching me how to swim, um, but still have some, some safety net around it. And I was wearing these shoes, and what I didn't realize is that those Crocs are super buoyant. So I had them on my feet, and it's like wearing little baby life jackets and trying to kick, and it was not working. I was not making progress. I'm going backwards slowly in the river, and uh, I didn't want to lose them. So I took them off my feet, and I put them on my hands. And I started like swimming with Crocs on my hands, and my wife, it, it felt like I was doing that for a few minutes at least. It was probably only a few seconds, and my wife realized I was in trouble. And she yelled out from shore, throw me your Crocs and swim directly towards shore. And so I used everything I had. I threw the Crocs and I went from going at that diagonal angle directly towards shore. I totally changed my direction. I was safe within a few minutes. Um, it, it took nothing. I got to put my Crocs back on and, and wear them back. I heard a, a phrase this week that's used in Chinese culture often. And, and it's this, that if you never change your direction you'll end up exactly where you're headed. If I hadn't changed my direction that day in the river, I would have ended up around that bend or injured or, or hurt, or I, I'm not even totally sure where I would have ended up at the end of that day. It was only through changing my direction that I was able to reach my intended destination. And I think that that story, it, it kind of, it represents a lot of us here today, who we all have these destinations in mind of who we want to become, or, you know, we, we want to be that, that good father or mother for our kids. You know, we always want to be there for them. And so we have these behaviors or these actions that uh, direct us along the way, uh, maybe it's spending more time with your family or going to more of their sports games or not being on your cell phone, whatever, whatever that is, it directs you in reaching that destination. 
Others of us, we're, we're working on our, our jobs or we want to grow in our career field. And, and so we have these habits. Maybe we show up to early or, or work early. Maybe we do a little bit of extra work. And, and we have these good habits that lead us along the way to that destination. But there are also, just, just as there are those good habits and behaviors in our lives, there are those other habits and behaviors that if we are honest with ourselves, we're not so proud of. You know, it's, it's those thoughts that sometimes we have that we know we shouldn't have. Sometimes it's the way we talk or the things we say about something or someone when they're not around or, or maybe what you listen to or, or you watch on TV or the internet that you know isn't actually good for you. The thing about that, that Chinese phrase is that it rings true both for the good and the bad. Like if, if we don't change our direction now, our behaviors and our actions, they will ultimately lead us to some sort of destination. I mean, you, you think about it. Nobody wakes up one day and thinks, this is a great day to disappoint my family and my friends and my wife. I think I'm going to just divorce my wife. I think that's a great life plan. No, it's, it's a series of behaviors and, and actions and habits that develop over weeks and months and years that lead to that intended destination. Just the same, no, nobody wakes up and thinks, this is a great day to spend every penny I own and sell my house and declare bankruptcy. You, do, you don't end up at bankruptcy without a series of actions and behaviors and habits that eventually get you to that point. My point is this, is that if we don't change those habits or those behaviors or those actions, they will serve like a rudder on a boat for you in your life. And they will direct you to some destination one way or the other. And that's why it's so important for us to have a proper perspective. A lot like my wife as I was swimming in the river and I was struggling and I thought I was going the right direction. Really, I was going straight into a current that was going to take me downstream. It was only my wife standing on shore who had a proper perspective who could fix some of those behaviors and habits that were happening in that moment to get me to my intended destination. We're in a series right now called Perspective. And Pastor Roger started us off last week in week one, we're in week two, and I'd encourage you, if you haven't actually listened to the sermon yet, go back and watch it on Facebook or Vimeo, or if you're a podcast guy like me, you can listen to it on iTunes or, or Spotify. Pastor Roger really set us up well as we're looking at the book of Philippians. And Philippians is a book, or it's a letter ra rather, in the New Testament, written to the Apostle Paul. And, or written from the Apostle Paul, sorry, i got to get my words straight, written to, from the Apostle Paul to a church that he planted in the city of Philippi. And he's writing this, he's not writing it from like a nice hotel on the beach or an Airbnb somewhere or, or his house. He's writing it, as, as Pastor Roger noted last week, from the chains of house arrest. And when I think of house arrest, I think of the Ant-Man movie, you know, where he's, he's got the bracelet around his ankle and he can't actually leave more than a step out of his house without the cops showing up and arresting him. But in Paul's day, house arrest looked a lot less like that. And, and it was, you were literally chained by the wrist to a guard 24-7. And Paul writes this super optimistic, uh, joy-filled letter. I don't know about you, but like if I'm chained to some dude for... 24 hours a day, I am not writing about how happy I am. I'm writing about how he chews with his mouth open, his body odor, how he snores when he sleeps. Some of you are like, that sounds like my marriage. Don't look at your spouse right now. <laughs> my, 
So Paul is, is writing this, this letter, and, and he's just filled with this, this joyful perspective despite his circumstances. And so he's writing this letter to the Philippians, and this is what he says on how they should conduct their lives and how they should live. He says this in Philippians 2, verse 1, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. I want to pause there. You notice how much he talks about the same mind. He says, be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And then later he says, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus or the same perspective. And I think Paul hits on that so hard because Paul understands this idea that, that we're starting to touch on that the way you think determines the way you act or, or your behaviors and your actions determine who you'll become. My wife, when she was growing up, when she was five or six, or ever since I've known her, she's not been a seafood eater. She stays away from crab and fish and shrimp, but especially shrimp because when my wife was five or six, she heard that shrimp were bottom feeders. And in her five or six-year-old mind, she thought that meant that they ate out of their bottom. And that created some sort of aversion, so she never ate shrimp. You got to give her some credit. Like when I, was, uh, when I got asked to be a ring bearer when I was four years old, I thought that meant I was going to deliver rings in a bear costume. And so I went for a bear costume. <laughs> Sometimes as kids, we just hear things and it doesn't totally add up. The problem was, is Hannah thought that shrimp ate from their bottoms up until I met her in her early 20s. And uh, don't worry, I asked for permission to share this story. And I changed her perspective on shrimp, and now, now we both love shrimp. My point is this, that you can go through your entire life believing one thing, and having that inform the way you act, and your behaviors, and who you spend time with, but just because you believe it doesn't mean that it's right. Which is why perspective is so important, because perspective is a lot like a GPS. I, I just traveled to New York City this weekend with my wife, and we used our GPS. It told us where to turn, when to turn, what exits to get off and on at. It took us around traffic, and ultimately got us to our destination in the fastest way possible. But if you have a faulty GPS, if anyone here have a faulty GPS before, it takes you down like dirt roads that you've never seen. You're going down one ways. I mean, you're ending up sometimes in a different province. Like that, that is why, that is why uh, perspective is not only important, but it's essential. It serves as a GPS. It, it informs our behaviors and our actions and our habits and where we ultimately end up in life. And so Paul, knowing this, writes, continues to write, and, and he gives us the example, the ultimate example of whose perspective we should take. He says this, continuing in verse 5, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God, with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Isn't Jesus' perspective fascinating? Like the God of the universe comes to the earth. Out of everything he can do, out of all of his abilities, he chooses to serve people to the point of death. I can think of a lot of things I'd do if I had Jesus' abilities before serving people, if I came to earth. You know, like turning paper into money, maybe. Or walking on water sounds fun. Flying, I don't know. You can tell I've thought way too much about this part of the sermon. Instead, Jesus empties himself of all of that and comes to earth and serves. And I read this, and and I think, you know, I I look at Jesus' example, and I think, I'm pretty good at serving when other people are watching me. You know, like, I can pick up trash all day if you watch me do it and tell your friends how humble I am. (laughs) But, But doing those things when nobody's watching when there's no return for me, when I don't gain anything from that service, that doesn't come as naturally for me. That's, that's not hardwired into me. Even, even more difficult for me is serving someone who has done wrong by me. You know, my, my enemies, the, the people who have, who have wronged me, who have maybe talked about me or gossiped or who have taken advantage of my hospitality or kindness, that, that doesn't come so naturally. And, and I wonder, as Jesus was or as uh, Paul, rather, was writing this, and I'm just speculating on this, if maybe he thought of the story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet in John 13, where he washes the feet of all 12 of his disciples, included the very one who's going to betray him and who's going to conspire against him to deliver him up to the Roman guard to be killed and tortured. The God of the universe comes and washes the feet of his enemies, And I don't have time in my schedule to serve or help my neighbor or look out for that youth in our community. See, Paul is such an interesting character because we we read about him in this passage and you think he must have some like superhuman ability to to be able to be super happy under these circumstances. Like he, he must just have some superpower that enables him to do it. But Paul is human just like us. And it's all because of perspective. And this is my sermon in a sentence. If you take anything away from it, you can write this down. It's this. Paul understood that when you change your perspective to think like Christ, you will live like Christ. When you change your perspective to think like Christ, you will live like Christ. Think about Paul's life. He had been, uh, previous to this, he had been persecuting the church. He had been imprisoning Christians. He had been watching them and approving them getting beaten. He even approved of the first murder of the first Christian ever. And we read in the letters that, that at some point Jesus comes to him and meets him at kind of at the height of that persecution and him going after the church and blinds him with this bright light. And, and Jesus says, Paul, why are you persecuting my church? And, and Paul walks away totally blind for three days and it says something like scales fell from his eyes and Paul opened his eyes with new perspective. And Paul goes from tearing down the very church and, and Christians that he was opposed to 
to being one of the, the cornerstone builders of the faith. So much so that almost 2,000 years later, we're talking about this guy and what he did. Paul goes from, from destroying something to build it up, building it up. How does, how does someone go from destroying a religion, a faith, a movement, to being one of the very founding members in the series of a week? Perspective. He changed his way of thinking, but it wasn't without the help of God. And this is how he describes it. He says later in Romans 12 too, he describes it as renewing his mind. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and improve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. See, this isn't just like the power of positive thought or sending positive vibes some way. This is the power of God reworking the very networking of our brain, the very way we think, the very way we look at other people, renewing our minds and our perspective. But it's easier said than done, isn't it? I can remember serving at one church, and I, I was pretty new there, and, and my wife and I were new, and, and we came in, and we were working with someone who just had this false impression of who we were. And, and they thought we had malintent towards what they were doing. And, and there was all this. They, they eventually went to the leadership at the time. And it, it just felt gross. It felt like gossip. And it was like Hannah and I were like, this person doesn't even know us. Like this person hasn't taken the time to actually sit down and talk with us. And they're assuming we're trying to, to, to tear this thing down. And, and the leadership at the time didn't say, hey, just ignore them. We'll kick them out of the church. We'll get rid of them. The leadership said, go buy that person a meal, sit down, and have a conversation with them. And it went against everything in me. The way I, I'm, I'm wired, it was so painful initially to sit down and have that conversation. But I walked away from that conversation with a new perspective. Not only on how that person felt, but on how Jesus felt. You know, I got this like microscopic sliver of a taste of what, it, what Jesus did when he washed the feet of his disciples. See, it's, it's not natural for us to serve our enemies or, or to serve and not receive anything back. And I think that's because we're, we're not born with this perspective that's a heavenly perspective. We're, we're born with this perspective growing up that love is to be earned, you, know, you see it in culture all the time. You, we see high praise for those who climb the corporate ladder and who are on top and are the best of the best. And those are the people that get more influence, more recognition, more platform time. And we begin to internalize that and we begin to self-promote. Like, this is what I can do. This is what I achieve at. This is the knowledge I have. This is how many social media followers I have. And we begin to believe this lie that our successes and achievements, as great and grandiose as we can make them, are an indication of how much we're loved. The problem with that is when you adopt that perspective of self-promotion, every behavior, every action, everything you do will follow suit. Because when you have that perspective, it's a lot like being chained up on house arrest. Because every action, every behavior is just a reminder of how desperate you are for love. See, a life lived in the direction of self-promotion 
will always end up at the destination of disappointment. A life lived in the direction of self-promotion will always end up at the destination of disappointment. Because the way you think determines who you become. Tim Keller says it this way, In religion, our only hope is to live a life good enough to require God to bless us. So every instance of sin and repentance is therefore traumatic, unnatural, and threatening. Only under great duress do religious people admit that they have sinned because their only hope is their moral goodness. In the gospel, the knowledge of our acceptance in Christ makes it easier to admit that we are flawed because we know we won't be cast off if we confess the true depths of our sinfulness. Our hope is in Christ's righteousness, not our own, so it is not as traumatic to admit our weaknesses and our lapses. See, the gospel isn't about self-promotion. It's about self-abandonment. And we can truly love our enemies and, and serve those in need in our community without expecting anything in return. When we understand that Christianity is not about earning love, it's about receiving the love that's already been given. It means that I'm not, I'm not struggling to, to know or to be known by God. I'm living in the promise that he already knows me and he sees me as I am. We serve not to be known but because we're already known. And we serve not to improve our standing with God, you know, to earn those heaven points or build that mansion a little bit bigger in the sky, but to increase our understanding of God. Because it's in those moments of serving those who, who aren't going to give you any praise, who, who aren't going to pat you on the back. It's in those moments of serving our enemies that we get a picture of the cross, where Jesus came and emptied himself of all of his ability to serve. He was abandoned and rejected and, and put on the cross by the very ones he came to save. And in the middle of that pain, and that pain, he cries out, Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's in serving that we get a glimpse of the heart of God. And I, I want to encourage you, if you're here today and, and you've attended Sea Road for more than a few weeks, if you've been here for a few months and a few years and you haven't taken that opportunity to serve, you are missing out on an opportunity to grow in your faith and renew your mind and get to know the heart of God more. When you change your perspective to think like Christ, you will live like Christ. I love how this passage ends because... If you're like me, you heard the word enemy and you immediately thought of a friend or a coworker, or a family member or someone, a neighbor, whoever it is in your life who it just seems impossible to love. And it seems like as much as you could possibly serve them, it would do no good. It would make no progress. My neighbor is Pastor Eric, so he's... <laughs> Maybe I should have omitted that. You're not my enemy, Pastor Eric. <laughs> I love the way this passage ends. It says this in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, just as, you, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you 
enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Christian Ebhart, a New Testament theologian, translates verse 13 as uh, that specific work in you phrase as meaning energy or power or action and work. And so the way he translates it is like this. It is God who gives you energy, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see, it is God who fills us up with the ability to even serve our enemies, to even serve those who it's so difficult to serve. When we serve others, we tap into a current of grace that flows like a mighty river in spite of our shortcomings, in spite of our failures, and in spite of our mistakes. And that's what brings new life to us, to our community, and to our region. When you're serving kids, men, and youth, when you're making coffee out in the boulevard, when you serve your neighbor, when you're doing things downtown that nobody will notice as you serve, you are tapping into the power of the Holy Spirit to the current of grace. And that has the power to transform not just our minds, not just our lives, but our community around us. And when we begin to adopt that perspective, not of self-promotion, but of self-abandonment, our joy and our happiness is not based on what happens to us. It's not based on achievement or successes. It's based on who Jesus is and what he did for us and what he's doing in us and through us. And that will inform our behaviors and our actions and our habits and ultimately our destiny because life will no longer be about what you can achieve or what you can succeed at or what happens to you but what God is doing in you and through you. And my friends, that is true freedom because we're not struggling to be known anymore. We're known fully. We're not struggling to receive love anymore through achievement or successes. We've been given it already through the gift of the cross. And when we get that deep in our bones, that, that'll change the very structure of the way we think because we will not be a sum of our wins and losses. We are a child of God, loved and known by the creator of the universe who came to serve. Which means this here at Centennial Road today, that serving isn't just what we do, it's who we are. We serve out of the perspective that we have been saved, that we are loved in spite of our shortcomings, in spite of our failures. And I imagine that you can think of those places right now in our city, in your family, in your neighborhood, wherever it is, that feel hopeless. And it, it feels like a, I use this imagery often like a dry wasteland, void of life, void of possibility for life. But serving is a very tool that God uses to shape us and shape our community. That neighbor may look hopeless. That, that, I saw Pastor Eric looking at me. <laughs> they may look like a lost cause, but looks can be deceiving. Hear the words of Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19. He says, For I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. When we begin to serve, God fills us up so we overflow much like rivers flowing into the dry and the hopeless and the deserted wasteland. And out of that service springs up new life, new hope, new power that is only through the Holy Spirit and through the current of grace.
I wanna challenge you today, if you're here today, there's a green card in front of you. This is a great opportunity to begin your journey of serving and renewing your mind and gaining that perspective. I'd encourage you, if God's speaking to you to serve today, fill out that card and put it in the basket in the back. Just as a, a um, assurance, it's not a contract. If you fill it out and you're like, why did I fill this out to change kids' diapers? That's not my spiritual gift. It's okay. We can work with you on that. But fill it out. Put it in the basket. And if you need some time to pray over it, please do that. Take it home and ask where God is asking you to step in to serve. Because when, when we serve, we bring transformation not only to ourselves, but our community as well. And I just want to take a minute as we enter back into worship through song. I know there's some people here today who you've never heard the truth that you're more than a sum of your wins and losses. There's some of you here today who have, who have never heard that reality that God doesn't measure you based on what you can do or what you can achieve. He looks at you as his child and he loves you. See, religion isn't, religion says, I do, therefore I'm accepted. The gospel says, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. And so I want to just encourage us as we stand together and we, if you'd stand with me as we sing this out, we're just going to declare our identity in Christ together because it's when we understand our identity that that will inform our behaviors and our actions that will ultimately end us up at the destination of transformation.